teach us. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 John chapter 2. First John 2, verse 28, and we'll read through chapter 3, verse 10. First John 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So far, the word of God. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 18, stanzas 14 and 15. The text that we want to give particular attention to this morning comes from 1 John 3, the verses 4 through 10. It's not a long text, so let's read it again in preparation for the sermon. 1 John 3, beginning in verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. 
The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So far, our text. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, every time we come to the Lord's table to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper, the thing that we come to celebrate first and foremost is the fellowship that we have with God through Jesus Christ and thus also have with one another. Uh, That is, before everything else, the meaning of the Lord's Supper. It's a picture, it's a table, after all, and it's a picture of family union. We sit around the family table to have a family dinner. This is our reminder that it is, after all, not my table, it is not the elders' table, it's not the church's table, it is the Lord Jesus' table, and those who belong to him belong at his table. Uh, We are his brothers and sisters and fellow children with the Lord Jesus, fellow children of God. And that's what we also saw last time when we celebrated the Lord's Supper and we looked at the verses right before our text where where John says, Beloved, we are God's children here and now. The Lord's Supper is meant to remind us of this truth. We sit at our Father's table. Uh, We are God's children And if we belong to God's family, that also means we belong, as brothers and sisters, to one another. That's also uh, why we call each other brother and sister. That's why why Christians have always done that. And, And that's why the Lord's Supper is also to be a time of sweet family fellowship. Uh, Though we don't always agree with each other all the time, what family does... Yet we recognize at the Lord's Supper that here we nonetheless belong around the same table because we still belong to one another because we belong to the same Father. And we have fellowship with Christ, and therefore we fellowship with God, and we have fellowship with one another. All of that is then the context for our text this morning. In our text this morning, John wants us to think just a little bit more about what it means to be a child of God. In John's day, there was this group of of people that called themselves the Gnostics, and, and they were these super spiritual people who made this claim, we are the children of God. They had strange teachings about Jesus. They believed that he wasn't a, a true human being, but more just an appearance of God, almost like a phantom. And, and they also practiced sinful lifestyles. Their argument was, it's our, it's our super superior religion and our, our great wisdom that makes us children of God. And what we do with our bodies really doesn't matter. That's the way they saw the Christian life. They saw their bodies as part of a lower uh, plane that wasn't as spiritual as their minds, so it really didn't matter what they did uh, with their bodies as long as they were pure, supposedly in their minds and in their connection with God. And I believe that that's the group that John has in mind as he's writing this entire letter 
and particularly as he's writing these verses. Now, the point that John wants to make is very, very simple, and it's this. The true children of God will bear a family resemblance to their father and to their older brother, Jesus. Uh, they, will, they will look like their father. Anyone, we, we all get this. Uh, you can sometimes recognize who's a, a certain kid's father or mother. When you look at them, you, you perceive a family resemblance. That's the point John makes for Christians. They should look like their father, and they should look like their older brother, Jesus. And, and particularly, he means in living lives of righteousness, the way that their father and their older brother is righteous. Now, we, we want to camp out on that point for a little bit because these verses are very often misunderstood. Uh, think about what John says. Take a look at verse 6, for example. John says in verse 6, No one who abides in God keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. He says the same thing in verse 9 as well. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. It's a very strong way to make his point. And after a quick reading and without much careful reflection, we might conclude from reading that that John is teaching us that real Christians never sin. Real Christians are no longer capable of sinning. And there are groups that teach this. Uh, now, you might wonder, well, don't the facts of life contradict this? And, and yes, they do. Ask these people's wives if, if they never sin. Of course they do. And usually the explanation goes, well, one of two directions. Either they say, well, these things don't really count as sin, these things that I've done. They're not real sin. Or they will make the argument that I'm not really the one who did it. It's just sin within me, but I am guiltless of it. It doesn't touch, it doesn't touch me. Uh, and for that, they might appeal to, some of you know your Bibles well, might think of Romans 7, where Paul says, I do the things I don't want to do, and therefore it's, it's not I who do it, but, but sin within me. So that's the verse that they, they would appeal to. But he, that, even that is a misreading, even there, of the Apostle Paul. His point is not that I'm not the one who commits these sins, but that it's not the me that's going to last into eternity that commits these sins. It's my old flesh. But he still says, I do the things I don't want to do. He's not claiming that it wasn't he uh, that did them. Now, if we were to take that approach with John and say that what John is teaching us here is that real Christians never sin. Uh, our sins, after all, are not really ours. They're just the works of the flesh within us, but we bear no responsibility for them. We would actually undermine the very point that John is trying to make. His point is, what you do reveals who you really are. The life you live shows who you really are. If, if, we, if someone is living a life of sin and, and says, well, those sins don't really count because they don't reveal who I truly am, that's precisely the opposite of the point that John is making. Uh, John is saying, no, your, your life reveals exactly who you truly are. So what then are we to make of John's uh, verses? Is John saying real Christians never sin? 
Well, if you picked up this short letter of John, it's only three pages long, and if you were to just read it from front to back, you would realize very quickly that that cannot be the point that John is making. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 8, John says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, clearly, John is not naive here about the reality of sin, even in the Christian life. You see it also in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. So for John, This is an essential part of the Christian life, confessing our sins and being forgiven of our sins because of the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, If we were to say that the Christian life is is void of sin, there's no sin in a true Christian life, we undermine the very foundation of the Christian life, which is the forgiveness for our sins. So that's the point that John makes already in chapter 1. Now in chapter 3, John is making a different point. The point he's making is that notwithstanding the reality of our sins, if we are indeed children of God, there will still be a family resemblance to our Father. That's why uh, John is is very deliberate in our text about uh, using a specific phrase. Uh, You see it several times in our text where he says, uh, making a practice of sinning. It's a unique phrase in, in the Bible, and it, and it refers specifically to a, a lifestyle of sin. And he's, he's saying, if your life as a whole is characterized by sin and unrighteousness, by a life that's opposed to God, then you, are no, you, you cannot claim to be a child of God. Uh, or to put it in, in the form of a question, Can someone look at your life and recognize that you are a child of God? Not not by absence of sin, but by a pattern of life that shows a hatred for sin and a fight against it. Now, when we ask ourselves those questions, uh, one easy response for us is is to have this sort of legalistic, self-righteous, outwardly prim and proper appearance that says... Uh, Look at me, I I do not sin. Uh, I am, after all, a a righteous person, far more righteous than all those other people. That's not the point that John is making, that we need to just clean up our act on the outside and that, that will make us somehow children of God. His point is, rather, if you are a child of God, it will result in a changed life beginning right from the heart. So the cleansing happens from the inside out. A true child of God hates sin and loves righteousness. Uh, it, it's, it's entirely possible to have an outwardly righteous life and still have an inwardly ungodly heart. Uh, it will inevitably show itself over time, particularly to those who are closest to us, but it's not possible to have a heart that's ruled by God and not have a life that is outwardly changed. Uh, That's the same point John makes in in chapter 2, verse 3 as well. He says, uh, By this we know that we've come to know God, 
if we keep his commandments. There is an outward measure for inward change. It can be seen. Now, we, we do want to recognize, John also recognizes that this is a process. It doesn't happen all at once. Not one of us here has a perfectly outwardly righteous life. All of us still struggle with sin. And, and John is also very much aware of that reality. If you look at the verse right before our text, verse 3, so chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That's a process, isn't it? He, he purifies himself. He's in the act, in the business of making himself pure. Now, that statement recognizes that our lives are not automatically 100% different from day one of our conversion. And it's a lifelong process of change. But it is a real and it is an observable process. That's what John wants us to think about here. You can see that process at work. There, there will be a visible struggle for righteousness and a struggle against sin. Uh, that's why he says in verse 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. Here I think he's thinking of these, these Gnostics who lived outwardly sinful lives and, and claimed yet to be children of God. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Now, he's not saying there that your practice of righteousness makes you righteous, but it shows that you have been made righteous in Christ. And there again, he's not talking about a sinless perfection, but a life of struggle against sin. He's talking about the direction of our lives by God's grace. He who practices righteousness makes that his life's work, his business. He shows himself to have been made righteous in Christ. And that's a direction of our life that arises from God himself living within us. And that's the, the point that he makes in verse 9. Uh, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? Because God's seed abides within him. And therefore, he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So you see, John sets this up in very black and white terms. There, there are only two families on earth. There are the children of God and there are the children of the devil. Uh, those who have been born of God have, as it were, God's seed within them. And there I believe he's referring to the Holy Spirit. If you look, all, again, if you read the whole letter from front to back, uh, that becomes clear. You look at chapter 2, verse uh, 27. He says, The anointing that you have received from him abides in you. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So when he talks here about the seed of God, I believe that's the Holy Spirit that he's referring to. Uh, you can see that also in our chapter, in chapter 3, verse uh, 24. He says, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. So there's God's seed within us. And here's the result then. If we have been born of God, if we have his spirit abiding within us, then we will love the things that God loves, 
and we will hate the things that God hates. Uh, we recognize sin is not going to die all at once. doesn't happen immediately, but the war will be, will be visible. We will be able to see a war at work within our hearts. And so John does set this up in, in very stark terms because uh, this is the reality. There are only these two families. Uh, and, and each will love, each family, the children in each family will love the things of their father. The children of God will love the things of God. The children of the devil will love the things of the devil. Uh, you see that also in verse 5. He says, you know that he, that's Christ, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. So if you love Christ, well, what did Christ come to do? Christ came to take away your sins. You cannot then love Christ and still want to hold on to your sins. That's, that's a contradiction in terms. Uh, Christ came to take away sins. And if you, if you love that, if you rejoice in that, then you're not going to want to take those sins back. Uh, one pastor put it this way, uh, sin is deadly. Sin is our enemy. And he says, anything that is deadly and it's taken away, leave it there. You don't go looking for it. You don't go trying to find it to go and pick it up and take it back. That's what John is saying here. If you love being freed from your sin, because that's what Christ came to do, if you love that, then leave your sin where it was. Leave it taken away and don't take it back. It's impossible to love Christ and not hate the sin that he came to take away. He says it again in verse 8 as well. Uh, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Implication, if you love the Son of God, you will, with him, hate the works of the devil. So there's a family resemblance in the children of God. And it's a resemblance that arises from the seed of God within us, the Holy Spirit. Uh, so John concludes in verse 10, By this then it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness, again, that's a direction of our lives, a, a war that's within us. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And then he adds, this is where we're going next week, or next time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, he adds, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Our love for our brothers and sisters is equally as much a mark of our being born of God, as is our life of righteousness. Without love for our brothers and sisters, that righteousness is nothing but a hypocritical fraud. It's exposed as nothing but an outward whitewashing of an inwardly deadly tomb. And so this too is a mark of being a child of God. But brothers and sisters, then, for this week, let us be encouraged. The Son of God did indeed come to take away our sins and to destroy the works of the devil. And isn't that what is put on display here in the Lord's Supper? He takes them away not only by, by nailing them to the cross to remove our guilt, but he also takes the, the works of the devil away by giving us his spirit to renew and transform and change our lives. So that as the children of God, over time, the family resemblance would be increasingly clear. And so as we come to his table, we have the opportunity to celebrate and to rejoice 
uh, in his work in us and for us and to renew our commitment also to seeing that work carry on and be completed in our lives. So come, brothers and sisters, and welcome to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us sing in response from 